The Toby Gribbon Show. Highlights. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Vic Ferrari is a retired 20-year member of the New York City Police Department and author of NYPD Through the Looking Glass, stories from inside America's largest police department, the NYPD's Flying Circus, Cops, Crime and Chaos, Grand Theft Auto, the NYPD's Crime Division and NYPD Law and Disorder. And Vic is on the line with us here. How are you today? I'm doing great, Toby. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. So what was it that inspired you to write these books based on your experiences working for the NYPD? Well, I had a wonderful 20-year career with the New York City Police Department, but when I retired, I was bored out of my mind. I um, I moved down to Florida. I became a cop in Florida, which was nothing like being in New York. There was totally different problems. Mm. I went from being a detective working on organized crime to they're training me to wrestle alligators in a small I says, you know what? I'm not doing this shit. Can't do it. So at the bequest of friends and family, they said, you know, you got all these stories from your NYPD career. You should really start writing this stuff down. Hmm. And that's what happened. I just I started cranking out these books and it just kind of took off. And what kind of stories do you include in the book? All my books are behind the scenes look at the New York City Police Department that most people wouldn't know about. So like if you yeah. put it on Law and Order or, or Blue Bloods, they show you a little, but it's not really like the clowning around that goes in the locker room or the, the crazy criminals or, or the ingenious criminals you arrest or just the things that backfire, embarrassing moments that happen to cops. So my books, I mean, there's dark things in my books, but I tend to focus on the humorous behind the scenes things. Are you embarrassing particular people and maybe outing them? No, I don't out anyone. So when <laughs> I got into writing, that's a good question. So what I set out to do was I said, I'm not going to get anyone divorced or embarrassed or fired. So <laughs> these events happen, but I changed the dates, the locations, 
the precincts. So, I mean, people, I mean, my former colleagues know damn well who I'm talking about, (laughs) but, you know, I I changed the names and everything and locations. So, you know, as not to embarrass anybody. And what is it about the NYPD that's so iconic? Because we all know it, but I don't think there's any other American police departments that in the UK anyway, we could name off the top of our tongue. Well, the New York City Police Department's the largest police department, to my knowledge, in the world. At, At any given time there's between 35 and 40,000 members. There's 77 police stations scattered across New York City's five boroughs. New York City has 9 million people. So to run a three ring circus, you need, you know, you need some ringmasters. And that's what the NYPD does. And how did you actually get involved with the NYPD and in policing in general? I mean, was it always the case that you were going to work in New York? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm born and raised in New York City, a lower middle class family, grew up in the Bronx. When I was a little boy, my mother used to walk me by the police station and I would watch the police officers out front and stare at their guns. And, you know, every boy wants one of those guns, you know. And then I like to tell the story by age 10, my friends and I used to sneak into the post office and steal FBI wanted posters off the wall. And then we'd go around the neighborhood with like some guy wanted for a bank robbery in Alabama. And we'd be like in the local supermarket, like that could be the guy right there. (laughs) So I knew what I wanted to do by the time I was five years old. And by 21, I mean, I was in the police academy. Yeah. Did you ever catch anybody in those early days by stealing the wanted posters? No. The people (laughs) on the FBI wanted posters weren't hanging around my neighborhood. That's for damn sure. (laughs) And, And, you know, it's like the FBI wanted posters there's no rhyme or reason to it so like i was looking at wanted posters of people wanted across the country it was just me me and my friends like a boyhood dream you know yeah now that you've had a career at the nypd what have been your most memorable cases to work on oh i've had so many so you got to remember my last 10 years i was a detective in the auto crime division so anything with shop shops shipping stolen vehicles out of the country, changing vehicle identification numbers on cars for resale. I worked on a case where we had individuals shipping 30 stolen vehicles a month to Shanghai. Wow. Yeah, and it was a big case and we went up on multiple wiretaps and then we found out while we were on those wiretaps that our thieves were in the murder for hire business. Uh-huh. So to keep busy between stealing cars, they were they were whacking people. So when we took down the case, we solved about 15 homicides. Wow, that's incredible. It has that knock-on effect. Is that something that you look back on and you're so proud of, I guess? Oh, I'm definitely proud of it. I mean, we put we, we put a, an international auto theft ring out of business and put a lot of bad people in jail for the rest of their lives. And what would you say have been maybe the hardest cases and things that you've dealt with over the years? Well, here's the thing with the New York City Police Department. Even if you're a detective working in a sensitive area, they use you for everything. So you and I could be working on a sensitive case, you know, undercover, you know, we're not undercovers, but we're working with undercovers, we're working with confidential informants, and we'll come into the office, we came into work at 10 o'clock in the morning, we're leaving at 10 o'clock at night, and there's a thing on our desk, oh, by the way, tomorrow at 7 o'clock in the morning, be in uniform at some parade at the other end of the city. So that was always like a good old-fashioned kick up the ass that the NYPD was never afraid to use you for something else. Like I like to tell the story, 17 out of my 20 years, I was down at Times Square with the ball dropping. <laughs> and it's miserable. 
Don't yeah. if for your listeners out there, don't go to Times Square on New Year's Eve. It's oh. cold. People are packed in like cattle. There's no place to use the bathroom because <laughs> all the restaurants have had their bathrooms trashed before, right? So there's people in the crowd pissing, pooping, changing tampons, vomiting. I mean, it's it's vile. It's it's like Calcutta in there. And then what happens is after the ball drops and all that confetti, they start breaking down the wooden barriers. You get all the hood rats from like the Bronx and Brooklyn and upper Manhattan. And they're sober as judges. And it's like watching the Discovery Channel with like the hyenas. They go down there and they watch who's drunk, who's got a brand new iPhone, who flashed some cash, who's got a brand new video camera, right? And they follow them off down the side streets and they rob them. <laughs> wow. And a huge event like that, arguably one of the most iconic New Year celebrations, stuff like that's going to happen. You've got to have people there all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, for, for New Year's Eve, I'm going to take a guess. I don't know this to be true, but I would think on New Year's Eve, they send 5,000 cops down there, at Whoa. least. What is the process for deciding if you're going to put cops somewhere? Because obviously something like that happens every year, so you know that you're going to need them. But if something's never happened before, and you maybe don't even know how many people are going to turn up, how do you know who to put there? Yeah, no, that that's a good question. So New York City has five boroughs, right? Mm. And... Everything is the main, the epicenter of the NYPD is one police plaza in Manhattan. So they'll get a phone call from somebody and say, tomorrow there's going to be a protest in Brooklyn or there's going to be a tugboat strike in the Bronx, right? <laughs> one police plaza will say for argument's sake, there's a, there's a protest in the Bronx tomorrow morning. One police plaza will get in touch with the borough. There's a borough office in, in the Bronx and they'll say, listen, you got, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be this protest. We think it's going to be, we think it could be violent. We're going to need, we'll send 400 cops down there. So the Bronx is probably going to send probably a hundred people. And then what they'll do is one police plaza will pull people from sensitive units like vice, auto crime, narcotics. And that's where you get these notifications and they'll say, um, hats and bats tomorrow at such and such hats and bats is helmets and nightsticks. Or yes. if it's just something like, you know, the Thanksgiving Day parade or something pops up where the president is in town, then you're not, you, you don't bring hats and bats. But then by the time I retired, we had like gas masks and stuff. after <laughs> So it was like, we were lugging around all these all over the place. Is that one of these things where when you get the notification, you're like, oh no. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I wanted to have a nice day. Well, they, yeah. And well, here's a funny thing. So like they, they give those notifications at the last minute because sometimes if they tip their hand too early, guys start going sick. Guys start all of a sudden mysteriously having that be down, get subpoenaed to go down to court, <laughs> other acts of God. I've seen guys like pull stunts like you wouldn't believe to try to get out of doing something. It's like so cutthroat. Yeah. Have there ever been situations where you've got a notification that you've got to go somewhere, but actually you've quite enjoyed it? Oh, yeah. Sometimes um, I worked, I did dignitary protection. So I had to go for additional training. And that's when foreign dignitaries come in to the into New York. So, say for argument's sake, uh, I mean, I've guarded um, the, uh, the Prime Minister of North Korea one time. I guarded um, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. So, depending on who it is, right? If they're if they're, they're important, will they'll send NYPD detectives with people from the State Department or the Secret Service to kind of back them up. And depending yeah. on how high a priority they are, depends on the manpower that goes along with them. Like, so when I guarded Benjamin Netanyahu, he was out as prime minister of Israel, but he was trying to get back in. So he was kind of a private citizen at the time, but he still was afforded protection. So he showed up with two of the guys, two guys from the Shin Bet, which is like our secret service. But these guys were like, no joke. These guys <laughs> were like commandos in suit. Like we felt like pussies, just like, you know, we're sharing stories with these guys and they're telling us about they're they're in tanks running down houses in the Gaza Strip and they're lot and people are lobbing Molotov cocktails at them and we're like holy shit like these guys are like no joke man <laughs> so yeah I, I enjoyed that because we, we we used to get to meet like a lot of different people that you wouldn't normally meet for the book have you put any stories in the book that you know it's the first time that you've actually shared them oh yeah yeah um in my book um NYPD law and disorder there's mm. an opening chapter called embarrassing moments and I like to tell the story and I had told no one this story until I wrote the book me and my partner were driving around the Bronx we spot this cab we think the cab is being robbed we pull the cab over there's four guys in the back seat three guys in the back seat with four kilos of cocaine in a shopping bag right yeah. so I arrest them I bring them down to court and um that night I have to meet with a district attorney to file charges and that the the Bronx courthouse area it's it's a neighborhood and after dark there's no place really open to eat but they had just opened up a food court across the street so i'm like great i'll go into the food court get something to eat and then i'll talk to the district attorney i'm eating a, i'm eating i'm eating some italian food and my stomach goes and i'm like oh i gotta use the bathroom <laughs> so the bathroom across the street in the courthouse is a dungeon but i'm saying to myself oh wow the, this this place is brand new they got a brand new bathroom i'm in uniform i go into this men's room it's clean i go into the stall i take off my gun belt i hang my gun belt on the hook on the store 
stall door. I drop my pants. I'm getting ready for liftoff. And I hear through the front door of the bathroom kick open. And there's like four or five teenagers running. And they're hitting the hand dryer. Oh, it was bedlam. They're hitting the hand dryers. They're turning on the sink. They're like beating the shit out of each other. Now, yeah, I'm a cop in uniform, but my pants are down to my ankles. I'm kind of vulnerable. (laughs) So I'm standing there. And then all of a sudden it gets quiet. And I'm like, did they leave? Like, why did they stop? Did they see my legs and say, oh, there's a cop in here. We should go. So I go, I better finish up and get out of here, right? Just as I'm about to finish up, I still got my pants down to my ankles. I look up. One of the kids ran into the next stall, jumped on top of the toilet seat, and he's hanging over the stall door trying to grab my gun belt. So I jump up with my left hand trying to pull my pants up. With my right hand, I grab him around the neck and I pull him. When I pull him over the stall wall, he gets closer to the gun belt and he grabs it. So now I'm in a hockey fight because now I, I let go of my pants, right? They're down to my ankles. I got him by the neck and I'm just punching him. Let go of the gun belt. Let go of the gun belt. His friends run into the next stall. They grab his legs. Now it's a tug of war. Finally, the kid drops the gun belt. It goes down to my legs and he goes over the wall. I pull up my pants. I get dressed quick. I run out into the, I run out into the food court area and they're gone. And in the book, I write, what should I do? Should I get on the radio and, and call for the cavalry? I would have been the laughing stock of the Bronx. And I pulled that like everybody like, you see that cop over there? That's the guy that almost lost his gun while he was taking a dump. So I chose to keep that story to myself until I wrote NYPD Law and Disorder. Why did you decide that you finally wanted to share it? Because I'm guessing you must have been embarrassed if you didn't share it for so many years. So why were you no longer embarrassed, perhaps? Well, I'm, I'm living in Florida now. I'm not a policeman anymore, and I'm not going to run into anybody anymore. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. now I'm a private citizen. You know, it's embarrassing. But, you know, it, it, it was the right story for the right chapter because everybody – Everybody, every author likes to paint themselves as how smart they are. You know, they have the witty comeback. They save the day. Yeah. And the reality is, it's not often the case. And I just <laughs> thought it was a funny story that I almost got my gun belt pulled over a stall in a men's room in the Bronx. Yeah. Would you say that the books overall are quite funny? Yeah, they're all humorous. I mean, there's some dark stuff in there, but I have a gallows humor. I mean, I've got stories in there about going to the morgue, you know, a bunch of times. And, and I mean, it, it's 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 dark, but it's funny. I mean, what was going on in there? As a detective, maybe from TV shows, I've sort of got this image that a detective has to be a superhuman genius. But is that true? There's knuckleheads. I mean, don't get me. With a 35,000 person department, you're going to get some nitwits that get in there sometimes. And it's yeah. obvious. It's like, oh. And then your lieutenant will go to you and go, would you help him or her? Or um, I'm going to take the case from this one and give it to that one because they're starting to screw it up. So <laughs> it, it happens. Is every case that you do a gruesome, horrible murder? Or could it be a variety of different things? Sometimes things that are maybe quite mundane. Well, see, where I worked was a little different from what you're thinking of. You're thinking of like a detective squad where cases are coming in. I worked organized crime. So we were, do you ever see the movie Heat with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro? I don't think I've ever seen it, but I've certainly heard of it. We, we targeted organized crime, like the mafia and different gangs that were out there stealing. So we were doing surveillance, following them around, picking them off, trying to flip them to become informants, going up on wiretaps. Um, I, I tell the story a couple of times with certain 
search warrants. I, I stole people's cars in the middle of the night <laughs> and we put listening devices in the car and replay and put the car back, you know, with the search warrant. I just didn't do it on my own. But um, yeah, we, we, we did it. We did a lot of interesting work. Well, what is coming up for you? Are you working on any more books at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I've written um, I've written six books, four of which are about the New York City Police Department. I'm writing yeah. another NYPD book now. I don't have a title for it. But uh, yeah, I just, you know, as as long as the stories are flowing, as long as my friends call me up from time to time and jog my memory and say, remember that guy? You should write about, I was just on the phone with my friend this morning. It's like, you should write about this guy, you know? So <laughs> it, it just never ends. How many books do you think? think you have left well what i've been doing is what i do is now every other year i take a, a year off from writing an nypd book and then yeah. i'll write about something else so my this last book i wrote confessions of a catholic high school graduate it's oh. got a picture of a kid in a catholic high school uniform running out of a confession booth that really happened to me um it's about my childhood growing up in the bronx and me being a little son of a bitch before i turned my life around and became a member of the new york city police <laughs> department so after this nypd book i'm gonna write another book about something Something else, but I probably got another three, four NYPD books up my sleeve. Well, where can we find all your books that you've released so far? So all my books are available in the UK. Um, if you go to the, just go to Amazon, go to books and type in my name, Vic, V-I-C, Ferrari, like the car. And my, uh, my my library, my you know my all my books will pop up. They're all um, ten dollars. I try to keep the price point low. And two ninety nine ebook download. They make great stocking stuffers. Excellent. Well, many thanks for talking to us today. It's been great to have you on the show. All right, Toby. Thank you so much. I appreciate. It. Show!